1: Hello everyone. This is Kirk Henderson of the Mavs Moneyball podcast. I'm joined by Sabrina Merchant of SB Nation who does a whole host of things for for SB Nation including uh, the site manager for Clippers Nation is it Clipper Nation and you do some writing with Silver Screen and Roll and your LinkedIn page is incredible. You have written all over. How are you Sabrina?
2: I'm doing well, Kirk. It's Nice to be talking to you on a podcast for the first time.
1: It is. We should have done this earlier, but with so many games and so much stuff happening, I, I looking back at like the last sixty days, they have played way too much basketball, and I'm this this nice five day break, four or five day break has been really. I feel better. Like I'm. I uh, towards the end, I was looking kind of how Luka Doncic looks in games lately, all pink faced and just not not really with it. But it, it's. I'm I'm playoffs are, are going to be fun.
2: Yeah, I almost didn't know what to do with myself for this past week. Just like you're telling me, like I don't have seven recaps to write like in eight days. (laughs)
1: Like it's it's just so nice, and and so with with all the different basketball that we have, it comes to a a kind of a complete halt as we're we're preparing uh, for the playoffs and then watching these you know playing games uh, we're recording on Wednesday afternoon so there's been the two eastern conference playoff or playing games which were kind of lackluster but then tonight the Lakers play the uh play the Warriors which should be outstanding that's pretty much the only one that I'm going to watch I don't think I'm going to watch uh, Grizzlies and Spurs um sorry guys but so we're joining you today and if you're hearing my voice on 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 Sabrina's feed it's because we decided to record one podcast and then share between us um and we wanted to talk a little bit about this Mavericks Clippers uh, you know round two essentially they met for the first time last year in the bubble the Mavericks seemed set like dead set on playing the Clippers from before the bubble even started they went three and five and could have played another team if they wanted to and then the Clippers came into uh, came into Orlando and then proceeded to have sort of a a. Uh, they played the Mavericks pretty well you would think the Mavericks got them ready they went on to play Denver and then had sort of a, a kind of you know infamous collapse but a year later different coach a lot of the same guys on both teams and I'm sort of expecting a like early 2000s you know it's going to be testy by like game two I don't care how friendly these guys all are
2: yeah I was going to say by game one because (laughs) we had we had an injection in game one of last year's series and that was before like these guys even figured out they didn't like each other so, mm-hmm. you know, Chris Porzingis is still here. Marcus Morris is still here. Luka Doncic is still here. Uh, like you said, uh, there's been some significant changes on the Clippers end of things, but the starters are still the same. And there is a lot of, uh, I'm not going to say like bad blood, but, the, you know, some level of acrimony, I would say, between these two teams.
1: I think so. The Probably yeah. the biggest difference between the two has to be the collective health between both teams. Because the Clippers won in the playoffs last year with a couple of guys dinged up. The Mavericks were playing like six and a half guys. Um, right. Trey Burke came out of nowhere to matter and then secured himself three-year contract when he was on his way out of the league just because he decided to start cooking for two games. Uh, but now it's like the Mavericks have a slightly deeper roster. We should, is if I'm remembering correctly, Pat Patrick Beverly's coming back from, from some injuries, and the Clippers just have a deep roster a lot of people to throw out so so how has um how have like the how have the injuries affected the Clippers and like what do you feel is really different about this team compared to the same point you know starting the playoffs last year
2: yeah so I think you you brought up the first one which is that they're much healthier uh, I'd mentioned that the starters are the same as last year but that's not entirely true because Patrick Beverly hurt his calf in game one of the playoffs last year and then was unavailable for the rest of the Maverick series and you could really see his His absence at the point of attack, um, they were starting Landry Shamit, a little bit of Reggie Jackson in there. Neither of those options were ideal, let's say, against Luka Doncic. So now you've got a healthier Patrick Beverly, who even though he is returning from surgery, it was hand surgery. So I'm much more confident in his wind altogether because it wasn't a lower body injury. Mm. And then you've got, uh, you know, a healthy Rajan Rondo backing him up at point guard who, for, for all of the, the talk that there is about Rajan Rondo, uh, much better defensive option than Reggie Jackson, I would say, in the playoffs. Sure. Definitely better than Landry Schammett. Um, Everybody else is pretty much running into form. Like The the one exception is that uh, Amir Coffey was in the protocol for the last two weeks. He's probably not going to play in the playoffs. I just figured I'd mention his name because I thoroughly enjoy watching Amir Coffey play. And it would be uh, <laughs> disingenuous to say that he, everyone was healthy when he hasn't played in two weeks. Sure. But yeah. Serge Bacca is back. You know, he played two games, uh, probably the two worst Clipper games of the season based on how, the, you know, they approached the Houston and Oklahoma City games to end the season. But he looks good. You know, he provides that extra pick and pop ability that no other Clipper centers really do. He was moving better than you'd expect, considering he was that out for two months with a pinch nerve. Basically, uh, from the, the last time the Clippers played Dallas in that uh, that two game set in Dallas, was when Serge Ibaka left the lineup and he didn't return until just now so it's it's really great to have everybody back and healthy like like we mentioned last year you know it wasn't just Patrick Beverly Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams were also uh actually you know what I don't want to spend too much time talking about Lou and Trez. the Clippers are healthy now sure they have a much much more different like bench unit that's I think much more capable of handling the Mavericks because Batum Ibaka Rondo like Reggie Jackson that's that's a more quality four than what they were dealing with last year when Doc Rivers literally said that he wasn't sure who he could put into the games because he didn't think anyone was like well conditioned enough to play.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man. What a spe, Speaking of Doc Rivers, how, what, what could, could you, what has been the biggest difference about the coaching this year with Theron Liu compared to Doc?
2: Uh, First of all, I would say just a general flexibility. Um, There have been like these ten game intervals throughout the season where Tyloo will try out like a certain rotation, whether that's you know playing Luke Kennard a little bit more or um, more Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson. Uh, That's that kind of went away at the end of the season when the Clippers just literally didn't have enough bodies to make those kinds of adjustments. But there has been a real, yeah, willingness to make adjustments that was not exactly a Doc Rivers hallmark. Now, how much of that was within? rivers's control because like he said he didn't have the ability to play all these players i i'm not sure i agree with any of that but uh that's his story he'll stick with it it's fine <laughs> um yeah a, a real flexibility in terms of how the clippers approach the game like they don't just throw the same coverages at you know opposing offenses all the time they'll adapt and like if something doesn't work in the first half they'll try something different in the second half uh and then I just think there's more uh, flow on offense. You know, the Clippers obviously have two of the more talented isolation players in the league, in Paul mm-hmm. George and Kawhi Leonard, the latter more so than the former. And it can be quite tempting to just get the ball in their hands and let them work because it is very effective. But it also requires a lot of effort on their parts. And considering the defensive responsibility that the two of those players, you know, bear for this team, it makes their lives a lot easier when Clippers can get them to their spots without forcing them to you know, do all of the work, whether that's, you know, Rondo directing the offense, running a little more early offense, uh, just the, the general motion that's in the half court. Uh, You know, the Clippers, I know we talked about this uh last year, like via messaging or whatever, but the, the Mavericks had the number one offense in league history last year. And what, six offenses beat that this year, including this year. First- right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Clippers, Gosh. I think are the third best shooting team of all time. You know, their corner three point percentage is just, freaking absurd and they create like 11% of their shots from there it's a damn good offense it looks prettier than it did last year Uh, so I think yeah just that that general flow and then a willingness to change things mid-game is really what has set Ty Lue apart from Doc Rivers admittedly the personnel has something to do with that you know but I do think that there is a general feel that's different
1: and and it's you know, Mavs fans that I've talked to are are really are, are kind of really excited about the storyline component of what this game is. You know, playing the same team again, uh-huh. Rajon Rondo being in the back of, of oh, things because right. Mavs fans have a have a, a six year old history <clears throat> with with Rondo and Rick Carlisle and Carlisle has gone out of his way to praise Rondo to the point to where it's almost awkward. Um, but the. <laughs> The the X's and O's stuff for this series, I'm very interested to see how it goes because on paper, the Mavericks simply cannot defend the Clippers. They simply cannot do it. Uh, we talked about injuries where you know the the Clippers coming back from injuries earlier. Maxi Kleba, who did as you know, he didn't really bother Kawhi in the playoffs. Drove me nuts when I saw Mavs fans talking about how good a job he did. No, he didn't. But he's yeah. a big guy. No, but he's he's a big body who can at least stick with Kawhi. It's not like he was getting open looks. Kawhi is just an unbelievable basketball player who is able to hit some of the toughest shots in the NBA. But past he's been dealing with an Achilles injury, and at the moment, I don't think he's going to play because. It, 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 and if he does, and I could be wrong on this, so it will we'll see. Obviously, by Saturday. But if he doesn't play, that causes just a cascade of problems for the Mavericks defensively uh, against the Clippers' offense because the Dallas defense has not been good this year. Um, they, Bobby Corral, who is a, a kind of do-it-all guy for the Mavs media team, loves to tell me that they have good rules, which makes me <laughs> laugh because I'm like, what team has bad rules? They don't play <laughs> – like the what Kings. are we talking the about? The Kings have bad rules. The Kings have very bad rules, but the Mavericks also lost three times in fifteen days to the Kings. So this is the sort of thing that I'm talking about in terms of often uh, being uh, not being able to stop anyone. Um, because Porzingis has been um, this. I get killed for this. I'm I'm the Anthony Irwin of 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 Mavericks Twitter because I, I have a take that people don't like to hear about a good a formerly good player. Kristaps cannot move. Um, his his athleticism has curbed. And from what he's gone from being a unicorn to being a horse. And it's just not enough. And I don't see where their scheme is able to stop the Clippers. Now, I, I do think what we're in for schematically then is like some real like 125 to 120 kind of games. It'll be really entertaining, uh, it, probably some real runs, because that was kind of the case last year where mm-hmm. game four was out of reach. And then the Mavericks just started scoring a bunch of points and then, you know, Luca hit the crazy shot. So there's the, the, you know, but the storylines are a lot of fun, but I think that the schematic stuff is going to overtake that in a hurry because whoever is able to come up with the, the, you know, adjustments faster and kind of realize what's happening faster might get an early kind of advantage in these first two games in LA.
2: Yeah. I find that offensive prediction quite interesting because admittedly that is how this series went last year, but And I agree with all the numbers that suggest that Dallas cannot stop the Clippers. And yet during the regular season, they did a pretty good job of it. Now I'm not going to count the first game as much because Kawhi wasn't playing and, I'm just of the belief that I'm never going to see another game like that. But we life. won't.
1: No, it was historical. <laughs> A 50-point lead at halftime is something I've never seen before. I used I just to have to – I don't
2: understand how you can score enough points to make that happen. but And, just,
1: and just keep hitting shots because yeah. at some point teams pull up, and I've seen this happen numerous times this year where it's, oh, you're up by, you're up by 18. This game's going to go easy. And then you know four minutes later, an 18-point lead is gone. So yeah. it's, it's just shocking that that one kept going.
2: Right. So if we just focus on the two games in Dallas, uh, I did think that the Mavericks did a pretty decent job of stopping the Clippers, um, especially in that second game where I want to say they were held under 90 points. Uh, I don't have the score directly in front of me. I probably should have. But uh, for whatever reason, like my expectations of just offensive fireworks did not hold in that regular Mm -hmm. season set. But that kind of also was the case last year where the three regular season games were fairly defensive and then, You know, the the doors just blew off in the playoffs. So uh, by the numbers, I I think I would agree with you that, you know, these offenses are just super high powered and are going to have their way. But I was pretty impressed with honestly both defenses abilities to hold the other team in check during that two game set in Dallas, which is such a small sample. Like I hate basing my information off of that because it was. Two games, one after the other, both without Patrick Beverly and Serge Ibaka. So I don't know how different the Clippers are going to look. And you know, that's even before the Rajon Rondo trade. So that changes the Clippers' rotation even more. But like that was that was the best the Clippers had looked at defending the Mavericks. You know, um, Luka sort of got his, but nobody else was really able to get going. Um, I don't know if that was just like a bad stretch for Dallas offensively during the season. You can tell me if they're playing better now offensively. I. I question that because like they, they barely beat the, the Raptors to end the season. They lost to the Wolves. Um, like you mentioned, they lost to the Kings three times in 15 days. Like, uh, Are they in a good space now, relatively speaking, or would you rather the playoffs have started at a different point for Dallas?
1: So I'm very interested to see how the health impacts them because by season's end, Luka was looking like a ragdoll. Uh, mm-hmm. He took a fall in uh, the Memphis Grizzlies game. Oh, that where Yeah, it was a blowout where he was chasing down like a loose ball and had to dive over the base, this like baseline table and he landed on all concrete and he wasn't hurt as much as he was. It just looked like he was not really the same and also like from what I've been able to piece together. They had like a good time out the night before in Memphis. Like they were they've they've taken advantage of some of the the lacks of the COVID protocols and spent some time together. But on the court the product was not good because mm-hmm. Luca Luca's at that challenging stage in his career where he's so much better than everyone else he's playing with. And there's not a veteran on the team to kind of get things going. So he approaches games that aren't marquee games with lackluster effort. And sometimes the Mavericks escape and sometimes they don't. So, and really a lot of times they don't because the record under with teams under 500, like the aforementioned Kings games were really bad. So I think that if they, if, if he's able to get some rest and if Porzingis hasn't been dogging it because he hurt himself, uh, he, he had like an ankle injury and they you know, he's just one of these guys where biomechanics are important. And if he's not feeling right, he looks awful. Right. So if if they're okay, I think that that could be a bit of a shock for the because I'm sure the, the last 10 games of tape, the Mavs looked terrible. They just had the second easiest schedule.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's kind of funny to say that they look terrible because, like you said, they they raised in the standings during that stretch.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, they kind of failed up. Like yeah. <laughs> back to, you know, it's like you lose to the to the, the Minnesota Timberwolves in the last day of the year, and that game was over by the middle of the second quarter. Right. And and it's just I still, I tell people and and on our podcast that the folks who are listening have heard me say this over and over again. I don't know who this team is because the, between the injuries and the the closeness of the games paired with the fact that the first half of the season they went through, they're probably the second or third team in terms of most minutes and games lost to COVID protocols. Gotcha, Um, And and it's just that they've not had any level of consistency. They, they went 33 and 15 to close out the year, but they never had more than a five game win streak. So it's, it's just kind of odd. Um, and, and, and looking, I, I could see this really going multiple ways. So it's why, you know, I, sometimes the hedge is like, Oh, it's it's going to be Clippers and seven or Clippers and six. I kind of get that, but mm. I'm, I'm very, I could see this, uh, one fan described the team to me as having a low ce- uh, a, a low floor and a high ceiling. <laughs> and, and that's where I feel. Cause theories. they're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just all over the place. It, it, and I think there could be some real, like I'm kind of predicting at least one, like absolute clipper blowout uh, mm-hmm. where they just beat the Mavericks by like 35. Cause sure. that's just that's sort of what happens.
2: Yeah. And we got one of those games last year in the playoffs uh, game five. Right.
0: Uh, yes, After It so. seemed
2: like the momentum might be shifting and the Clippers are like now, nah. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but the, the Mavericks are just so banked up last year. I remember coming into that series thinking that the Clippers pretty much had this handled like they had done such a good job against Luca during the regular season. And then during the playoffs, <clears throat> maybe it's like what you were saying, how Luca just brings a different level on marquee games like that's I, I, I have to think a lot of that is his international background because of all those single elimination games that they play in international competition um, but he really just elevated his level to a degree that I was not expecting. And I'm kind of expecting that now.
1: It's they last year series missing Dwight Powell and having a vertical element to their pick and roll game was very painful because um, between. And Paul,
2: Stein didn't even come.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Willie is Willie. Colley Stein is one of the most breathtaking athletes I've ever seen who doesn't seem to know how to play basketball. <laughs> hey, um, but it's something vertical. <laughs> yes. Yes. And. It's watching how the Clippers defend is so because it's just a it's just a fleet of six seven people, yes. and length is basically all that bothers Luca anymore. Uh, strength doesn't because yeah, you know, he and Kawhi had some great defensive like back and forths last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not Luca guarding him, but uh, just just some of the you know Kawhi's just such a physically strong player. Watching him guard most guys, like it, it was kind of surprising to see Luca go toe to toe with him. And this year, where uh, Luca has actually kind of looked a step slow all year, but where he has improved is he's somehow become a really top flight mid range player, and he takes some very like early nineties shots on these isolations it's gonna it's a different game for him this year, even though he's scoring about the same his three pointers are better, but he can't get to the rim um it's it, i'm this series is going to be it's it's going to be a test of where he can kind of take his skills because the Clippers exposed so many flaws in his game uh, and then he improved. Uh, but it's, it's, he it's, it's just like the Mavericks still have such a, a long way to go.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I was looking up at his numbers, uh, you know, in against the Clippers in the regular season and like his efficiency is shocking. Like it's, it's really, really good. And uh, for, for all of the great things about Luca, to me, like efficiency is not the number one thing that comes to mind. Like, he, me either. He has the ball in his hands a lot. He's, you know, occupies a lot of volume. But like, you know, he's shooting thirty-seven percent on threes against the Clippers. Eighty-three mm-hmm. like, percent on his free throws. Like, basically averaging a triple double against them. I mean, I know those are just like box score numbers, but it felt like that watching Luca play against the Clippers this year and. I, I have to imagine that they'll have a better defensive game plan against him because, like you said, you've got Kawhi, you've got Paul George, you've got Patrick Beverly starting off against him, Um, you've got Nicholas Batum off the bench, you've got Rondo. I mean, even if they switch, if he's Zubac laterally, not a bad option against Luka Re-
1: Really good. Yeah, really good. He probably guarded Luka better than any big in the league I, last I year. Said,
2: yeah. And uh, you mentioned that like Luka can't really get to the rim as much this year. Uh, I, I can't say that I've noticed that because I just you know don't watch Dallas, obviously, as much as you do. Sure. but. Uh, when he does get to the room against Zubac, like he is scared of shooting. Mm-hmm. So uh, I honestly think that like that matchup in particular, I don't know how Ibaka is going to look in this series because it's been a while. He's only played two games and those were not real games. Right. Um, defensively at the start of the season, he was very good. But this is a different beast, right? Like Reggie Jackson was saying, like Lucas was just like built like a tank, right? <laughs> and like yes. he has all of this skill that you wouldn't expect from someone of his size. And I don't know what Ibaka is going to look like, but I feel like if you can get 28 to 30 minutes of Zubac like that's really a marked improvement from what they were getting last year because he's looked so good on the perimeter against him.
1: Mhm. And then Zubac is just there taking advantage of the fact that the Mavericks are a pretty poor team rebound uh, rebounding right. group and was just able to get putbacks and dump offs and it was it was driving me crazy uh, just watching because they they couldn't do anything about him. Um not to wildly flip the script on you but I just got sent this uh this is from Hardwood Proxism he, he said, Paul George, uh, uh, effective field goal percentage this season and heavily contested shots, 53.8 and lightly contested shots, 59.1. His effective field goal percentage against Dallas this season, heavily contested shots, 48.7, lightly contested, 29%. That, the Mavericks aren't doing anything there. That's just no, Paul no. George not hitting shots.
2: And again, that a lot of that I'm assuming includes the December 27th game. Yeah, which,
1: it has to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was just waiting for the shoe it,
2: to drop on those numbers and it did oh, yeah. not disappoint. <laughs> well,
1: it's it, and and he's probably, in my opinion, he's the X factor for mm-hmm. if Dallas is going to stay with the Clippers. If he plays poorly and he didn't have a very good series last year entirely, uh, he had one game, just one game where he shot 25%, just couldn't buy a bucket. It's he's such a skilled player. So it's it's very disconcerting when things just aren't going for him and it's like he's like watching a guy stuck in quicksand and if he comes ready to play particularly the way Paul George looked in April where he was just a a killer I, I this might be a much shorter series than I'm anticipating
2: yeah I mean I thought that a key reason why that series went six last year was because the Paul George Seth Curry matchup almost went in Seth's favor and I don't know how much Dallas misses Seth and I don't think he was doing much to guard PG it just sort of happened that way. I don't know if he was getting in his head. There's obviously a lot of off court stuff dealing with those two. But yeah, it's it's too bad. You know, all of those interpersonal dynamics are gone now that Seth and Docker are in (laughs) Philadelphia.
1: I know. I know.
2: Plenty remaining. Plenty
1: remaining. (laughs) Yeah, we're substituting Rick and Rondo. Uh and then Luca made I'm very curious as to your take on this. Luca Doncic told ESPN's Tim McMahon that um is it Marcus Morris. I guess Marcus. Marcus Morris Reached out to Luke. I don't want to use the word apologize, but they apparently had a discussion about some of the the extracurriculars in last year, and I've not seen anything to counter that. Which leads me to my question: Do you believe that actually happened? Because I just don't see a Morris brother doing anything resembling a an apology.
2: You know, I, I just can't imagine why Luca would say that if it didn't right. happen. No, it right? had to have
1: happened. It's just yeah. odd. Like it had such a wrestling vibe to it, where it's just like these two dudes were going back and forth because Marcus Morris is a heck of a quote, yes. just outstanding stuff. Now, sometimes I really wish they would give him face. to us more often. <laughs> oh, that yeah. Because are you are you guys still doing mostly Zoom stuff? You yes. guys can't see F yeah. oh, man. Yeah. Gosh, he's he's such a good quote. And I hope I hope we get regular availability from from these guys in the class mm-hmm. because the the after the sniping for this is is has the potential to be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. I mean, Marcus prides himself on being a great teammate. You know, he Mm -hmm. says all of his stops and his, he was drafted in 2011. So in his 10 years in the league, everyone, you know, credits him for being a great team. And I'm sure part of that is taking responsibility for his actions. Um, I do think that game five, was it game five or game six when he's got ejected at the start? I think it was game six. That that was a little unnecessary. Um, I didn't think anything that he did with KP in game one was out of, you know, out of reach, but like, uh the stepping on someone like when they're falling it's it's tricky so i'm assuming he did reach out to Luca. i'm glad he did that because there's no reason for that to hang over this you know like luca was very upset about that last year what did he say like i don't like playing with players like that in the game yeah
1: right he he sometimes he's he's one he's still young enough where he can get away with this he speaks like four languages and he gets away with acting like he doesn't know as much english as he does (laughs) So sometimes he'll like chop it up and say you know like like curt short phrases and i'm just like say what you mean man you listen to american hip-hop don't don't play like you don't know english and it's it it was he was that's one of the few times he's been he's been bothered by it and you know but he's he's so passionate and this year Mm -hmm. like the the chances I mean, I wonder if there's betting odds somewhere on like what on, on Luca getting injected from a game because he's, he's led the league and uh, him and Dwight Howard uh in technical fouls or you know, just from being disrespectful and being frustrated. And I've watched all 82 games and he deserved at least 13 of the 15 that he's gotten. Like, <laughs> and so I, I wonder to see how that carries over to the playoffs because he just sort of has this, this reputation. And, and, you know, I, I can't, you know, there's there's not is there anybody on the Clippers outside of 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 Marcus Morris that that is particularly Beverly. okay, Beverly. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He and yeah, he's a he's a heck. I will boy say,
2: too. <clears throat> um, it hasn't happened as much this year, but when when the Clippers like were losing badly last year, it always ended in a parade of technicals. And the center of that was generally Patrick Beverly. And he was not playing for most of the year against Dallas, you know, in the series last year. So I do think that if anyone is going to get into it with Luca, it's going to be Pat. I mean, he even made some comments about Luca that were just totally unnecessary when they were playing Denver last year,
1: mm-hmm.
2: where he said that, um, you know, Jokic reminded him of Doncic because flailing of his, flailing. his body
1: around. Yeah. yeah that was a good, like, that's,
2: I that's remember not, that. No one needs to say this right now. Like it's just, it well, seems it's so
1: great. Difficult. Cause they, they share an agent. And they made a lot of emoji eyes at one another prior to him becoming a Clipper where there was just like, Oh, where's he going to sign? And and a lot of Mavericks fans were thinking, Oh, agent Bill, Bill Duffy. Oh, there's, there's something there. And then he signed with the Clippers. It's like, oh, okay. He wants to take the hometown discount. And then it just got so like angry testy is great. <laughs> I mean, it's, we don't get an, you know, we don't get enough basketball-based testiness anymore. There's like Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, off-court stuff that happens in the NBA. It's not near, and some of that stuff like ranges on awkward. But when this stuff happens, when it's because of play, I love it. And I'm really looking forward to the discourse because it's, it's like this sports is I always tell our fan, like my fans like sports is one of the few things you can still get upset about and not getting get in any trouble for it. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. Do um so we're coming up on about a half hour. Do do you want to uh make any big predictions for the series?
2: I mean, I don't I don't think this is like out of left field or anything. I, I feel pretty comfortable in the Clippers winning this. I mean they arguably chose this matchup based mm. on the way they finished the season. Um, I don't think it had as much to do with the Mavericks as it had to do with the second-round opponent. Sure. But, you know, they they still put themselves in position to play Dallas as opposed yeah. to Portland. And I think, you know, for all we've talked about how Dallas has struggled and how they don't match up that well against the Clippers, I think they match up much better against the Clippers than Portland does. So yeah. uh, it's it's a choice to want to play a team that is going to test you in the first round. I don't think they're going to beat the Clippers, but I do think that they could make it five tough games, maybe six yeah. if something goes wrong, like, you know, a Luca shot did last year. But yeah, I think Clippers in five seems like the safe pick, especially now that we're back, you know, in home arenas. You close mm. out the game.
1: How many fans games, are allowed?
2: Uh, about 11%.
1: Okay. Okay. It's it's up to 50 in Dallas. And oh, wow. I would, I would, there's 47. It's something very peculiar 47%. Let's it's take very, game, it's. Fine. It's very, I just saw the number and Mark Cuban's been talking about it a lot. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, with with Dallas and and the Dallas in game arena experience, like the Mavs fans, because Dallas was good for such a long time, they went from being very loud to being very, uh, uh, let's just say, not as rowdy. So, it'll be that's a bummer. It is, but you know, maybe because people haven't been there in a year, they'll be excited and make up for the noise, which I can see that. Like playoff stuffs is fun. I'm, I'm wondering. I, I've just been very curious about whether home court actually is going to matter in these things, and that's a pretty stark difference um, in, in fan, you know, uh, allotments. But you
2: know, we'll see. For me, it's not so much the fans; it's just the not traveling. You know, getting mm. to stay in your own home and. Like, that that just seems to make players a lot more comfortable when they're coming from home versus coming from a hotel. Uh, so that, to me, is what has driven, like, the home court advantage. I mean, obviously, the numbers do not bear that out because this was the worst season for home court advantage in, like, league history. But I do think in the playoffs it's going to make a difference, even if it's just, like, 11% of fans. Because I got to tell you, being in the building for no fans versus that many, it's night and day.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. The, the Mavs had a real problem with way too much fake noise um
2: oh yeah it's been so bad
1: and that's almost worse than you know having like a crazy loud drunk lady behind you yelling <laughs> like it's because it's just it's coming from everywhere instead of one direction i guess i will probably like, i've been kind of taking a similar approach i'm gonna get you know we're this far into the podcast anybody that listens to me talk this long has to actually like me as opposed to the people who yell at me on twitter so i'd probably say like clippers and five makes sense i'm gonna go ahead and pick clippers and six Okay. uh just because i think that if it is clippers and 5 the mavericks will have it it makes their off season much like daunting in a way that i'm not looking forward to <laughs> because it's it's like wait so you went through and you did all this again to get the exact same result like literally the exact same result as last season and that that just like opens up an off season of of discourse that i am not particularly looking forward to because the mavericks are in that point in their um team kind of cycle where expectations are not they're outpacing reality and it's making you know it's kind of making it less fun for fans because people are just kind of grumpy a lot
2: does it affect how dallas views this series like based on what the clippers do afterwards like did Dallas feel any worse about losing to the Clippers because the Clippers lost in the semifinals, or was that sort of like immaterial to the overall picture?
1: So game four, I think kind of papered over a lot of problems mm-hmm. uh, with the team. And then they rolled back essentially the same guys. So that, the that Seth, is
2: Josh Richardson trade.
1: Yeah, that was the big one. And if that's your big move, the way, you know, Josh Richardson's coming off the bench. So it's not exactly, it hasn't exactly panned out. So I would say that, it bought them a little bit of time but they've when you go out and get Chris Porzingis for Zingis and send away two first-round picks it it tightens the window of of uh or rather it, it the margin of error goes becomes smaller and I think I you know getting out of the first round is hard making it to the playoffs is hard there's only eight teams in the second round and mm-hmm. and fans tend to forget this so you know just getting to the playoffs and improving this sort of stuff I think is probably a step forward but it's just with the way that you know with the way the rookie contracts are scaled and guys it, it makes it very difficult to to have reasonable expectations because I think they're probably where they ought to be um in the in the whole thing it's just Luca tends to make you know discussions like this hard to have because he's in you know all NBA level talent and if you're getting if you're only getting knocked out of the first round it feels like a failure in some respects, but I I think this could be considered a successful season given the challenges, even if they get, you know, a gentleman gentleman swept.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've begun thinking of it as the Tim Hardaway Jr. trade, not the poor Singh's trade. You Um, and me both. (laughs) I thoroughly enjoy watching Tim Hardaway Jr. play. Uh, And I I think if uh, Dallas scores at a rate higher than I'm expecting, it's going to be because of Hardaway. Like, I don't really see where else the offense is coming from.
1: Right. And he was actually – he was on JJ Redick's podcast today and talked about how he was not prepared for the physicality last year. And I wonder what that means for this year for him. Like, how do you prepare for physicality? <laughs> it's just sort of a yeah. thing.
2: Maybe it's a mental thing. I don't know. JJ's mm-hmm. not playing, right?
1: Reddick is probably not playing. He okay. he keeps being coy about it, but his I think his, he's dealing with, like, ankle issues the way Dirk was at the end, and he's just in pain a lot, and gotcha. at what point is it worth it? So, yeah, I think he'll just be a very loud clapper on the bench.
2: Yeah, there's no more fun um, J.J. Clippers anecdotes to be had because nobody has left from the Lob City era. <laughs>
1: <It's> <laughs> yeah. last.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, it turns over quick.
2: It well, does, that's
1: about, it? Uh, that's about all I got. This has been fun. Thank you for taking time out of your day to talk.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm glad to get you know a good perspective on Dallas because I mean the way I was coming in was just like this is a better team than last year because mm-hmm. uh, you know of, of how they played the Clippers last year and I presumably they're like on a, the next phase of their growth so they should be better but uh you have made me uncertain about that prediction. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean it goes both ways. I wouldn't be shocked by a seven game series. I would be mad, but I would be sho- I, I I wouldn't be shocked about a you know a, a, a one four sweep. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is great. So this has been Kirk Henderson and uh, Sabrina with uh, both of us are with SB Nation. You can find it. She does all the work. I'm going to post her Twitter. I'll post her Twitter feed. uh, And, you know, you should go seek out some of the things she's been writing about the Clippers as well as her weekly column with uh, Silver Screen and Roll, my friends over there. Do you got anything else before we get on out of here? No, I just think uh, it'd be great if we could you know, do this again, if this series somehow
2: becomes more interesting than either of us expect.
1: (laughs) Oh, I like that. We should absolutely do that. Well, thank you so much Sabrina. We will uh, We'll talk soon and uh, for everyone listening on the uh, the Clippers feed, this has been Kirk Henderson uh, with Mav's Moneyball podcast. so everyone go rate and subscribe to both of our feeds and we will talk with you soon.